Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Of course, here on Tuesdays, we break down the Division I women's action and what a weekend it was. Across the college tennis world, the ITA kickoff weekend delivering exactly the sort of thrills, Exactly the sort of drama, exactly the sort of high quality tennis all of us college tennis fans have grown accustomed to. The ceremonial symbolic start to the college tennis season is, of course, going to be the focus of today's podcast. We want to recap all 15 regions just in case you missed out on anything that unfolded over the course of the past five days. And before we do, of course, I got to offer a massive thank you to all of you college tennis fans who tuned in into our coverage. We were four days wide across so many different sites, I believe 21 in all, and to be able to provide college tennis the sort of spotlight it deserves for it to be able, excuse me, you can hear I'm losing my voice, for it to be able to be seen on ESPN+, Plus, for it to be able to be seen on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, easily accessible, or at least more easily accessible than ever before to all of you college tennis fans. It's always been our goal here at Cracked Rackets. We certainly hope we accomplish that over the course of this ITA kickoff weekend. And again, a thank you to all of you fans who tuned in. That said, obviously, we got a lot of tennis to recap. Not only that, we got to unveil our new Cracked Rackets top 10. We got to preview the week ahead. And then, of course, we do have to discuss some breaking news from the weekend in the college tennis world. Joining me, as he always does, to help sort through everything we've learned is a man you all know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, co-host of these Deciding Point episodes every Tuesday, of course, founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, our beat reporter on the ground at so many different locations throughout the course of this 2024 season, and my dear friend, John J. Parsons, joins us on the show once again. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back. Have you recovered from all of the tennis we just saw unfold? Have you recovered? Because that voice <laughs> is barely hanging on. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, It was a great weekend. It was great. It was so much action. I felt like this kickoff weekend, there were maybe not a ton of upsets, but there were a lot of very intriguing storylines and action throughout the country, both on the men's and women's side. And so it definitely delivered for was- a ceremonial start. I couldn't agree with you more. Let the record show. It wasn't the kickoff weekend that has my voice out of sorts. It was the kickoff weekend combined with the Australian Open Championship weekend combined with a really thrilling three-hour-plus match. We just called Oklahoma State dropping a 4-2 decision to UCLA. 
We're fresh off of that broadcast as we record tonight's show. That, by the way, is why we are not live on our YouTube channel this week. We keep pushing back that date. I'm just going to announce it once we know it on Twitter moving forward. I'm not going to make false promises to any of you listeners. We're busy people here at Cracked Rackets in the best sense possible. And obviously, this week, I'm on the road in Cleveland. Next week, we start to get ready for the women's indoors in Seattle. The week after that, the men in New York. So will we find a clear-cut time to be back live on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel? I'm not exactly sure when that will be, but I know we will continue to strive to do that, as obviously, we love hearing your feedback throughout the course of these shows. We love interacting with all of you college tennis fans. That's always been the goal here at Crack Rackets. It's something we continue to hope to do. But again, on today's show, we hope to sort through all that we learned from the 2024 ITA kickoff weekend on the women's side. There were upsets. There were 4-3 thrillers. There were even consolation matches that certainly matter as we look at the more broad picture unfolding throughout the course of this 2024 season. That said, before we get to any of that, we do have to address some breaking news from the course of the weekend. The big news for Auburn women's tennis, not that they advanced 4-2 over Duke to another national indoor final. No, the big news for Auburn women's tennis, of course, was the announcement of the dismissal effective immediately of coaches Caroline Lilly and Megan Falcon. The statement released from the Auburn program is as follows. The program will be under the direction of members of the men's and women's tennis staff on an interim basis as the search for a permanent replacement begins. We will work closely uh, with members of our tennis staff to ensure they have all the resources necessary to support our student athletes throughout the remainder of the 2024 season. That came from Director of Athletics, John Cohen. The rest of the website announcement, Auburn Athletics has made a change in leadership within the women's tennis program. Effective immediately, Caroline Lilly will no longer lead the women's tennis program. Now, of course, that also is included the dismissal of assistant Megan Falcon, both of them not with the team this past weekend in Durham. So that announcement clearly was on the horizon. And look, both Jay and I have tried to speak with as many different people as possible to present as much credible information as we can to all of you college tennis fans, because this was certainly a shock. This is an Auburn program. I've been talking about off, all off season, a program that has been on the rise steadily throughout the course of Coach Lilly's tenure as head coach. And, you know, with the talent that they had brought back with Obviously, the returners, Ansari, Arsenault, Flack, all the sophomores, Bennett, Okatoye, the freshmen they were bringing in, etc. This was a team that maybe had their highest expectations to date coming into this 2024 season. So, of course, when you hear an announcement like this, you become curious. Well, we're comfortable to report here at Crack Rackets that the reason for this dismissal, the cause for it, Coach Lilly, uh, was in the midst of an inappropriate relationship with a member of the team. Now, we're not going to divulge into the details of that relationship. We're not going to announce the name of the player that relationship was with, but it speaks to the the gravity of the, the moment. It speaks to the seriousness of the situation that Coach Lee was dismissed effective immediately by the Auburn Athletic Department. And Jay, again, it's just... A horrible development. It's it's not something we ever want to be talking about on this show, particularly with the ITA kickoff weekend right in the rearview mirror. But the seriousness of these allegations have to be discussed. It's just it's a, re- a reprehensible situation. Just every negative adjective you can think of. That's how you describe this situation. 
Yeah, it's unfortunately the most egregious yeah. coaching violation that we've c- covered or seen in tennis in at least my memory. Uh, hopefully there has been nothing more egregious, but it's it's tragic and it's horrendous abuse of power. It's a betrayal of trust to not only the entirety of the Auburn team, but also the broader college tennis community as well. I'm sure we'll continue to learn more as local news outlets cover this information, but it's it's horrendous. And I want to start, though, with the fact that this Auburn team did get through their kickoff weekend. And you, we've been very high on this Auburn team. And a note to this team is that that doesn't change, right? Yeah. You have not lost any of these players who are so talented and continue to have the success on the court. And you hope that they can rally together. This has had to have been an extremely difficult time for the entire team and the entire community. And it's a testament to these players for their resolve and navigating through this. I can't imagine how difficult it's been. And it's a credit to both the men's assistant, Lester Cook, who took them to Durham, as well as uh, their second assistant on the women's side, Valeria Zaleva, who's just in her first season at Auburn. But it's it's horrible. The allegations are completely inappropriate. Yeah, you mentioned it. It's all the negative adjectives you could imagine. Yeah, I like the word you used, egregious as well. And you mentioned it. it speaks to the resilience of this group, why we were so high on them, because the ethos they have, the spirit they play with, the fight, the countless 4-3 matches we've seen from this core over the past couple of seasons – That institutional know-how still stands. Now, the Auburn coaching staff is going to be stretched this year. What Bobby Reynolds, Lester Cook, to your point, Valeria Zaleva, are able to accomplish, power to them. And God willing, the Auburn Athletic Department will make this a priority and make sure they have the help that they need right away because they're rolling with three coaches right now. A lot of staffs have six between the men's and women's. And certainly, again, if you are looking for this uh, Auburn women's program, You've got the national indoors on the horizon, an opportunity to compete with the top 16 schools, an opportunity to make a push for a top eight seed and perhaps host the first three rounds of the NCAA tournament, something that every university could be proud uh, proud of. And I'm not trying to dismiss the seriousness of these allegations, but if this program wants to put that in the rearview mirror, rebound, recover. Go be a top eight seed. Like that can be the thing this team now rallies around is we no longer have our head coach. It didn't matter. Like we are strong enough as a group to overcome that. And again, it will just be fascinating to see where this Auburn team goes from here because to lose your head coach in this circumstance of all circumstances, to lose your assistant as well in this, let's be clear. It was both Caroline Lilly and Megan Falcon who I'm sure were it, uh, absolutely, you know, recruited all these players. They were uh, so impactful in getting these players to Auburn. Those two are now gone. You're right, that trust is broken between team and institution. It's just fascinating to see where they go from here because their first weekend on the job, you're right, they showed that resilience. They go and beat Duke, and we'll be talking plenty of Auburn throughout the course of the season. Any final thoughts, Jay? Well, there are certainly no parallels to 
the yeah. horrific behavior of Coach Lilly here, but I do look to the 2019 Texas men who sure. their coach was arrested on the on the job and they went on to win the NCAA championship that year. Not saying that that might ha- will happen with this Auburn women's team, nor that those situations are at all comparable, but we have seen teams come through this sort of adversity and find success. And so hopefully there's a silver lining in this for the players who have to be really going through this right now. But yeah, hopefully, as you said, they're able to put this in the rearview mirror, although I know that will be uh, a long road to kind of putting this sort of betrayal uh, behind them. Yeah, and I'm certain there will be more reporting on this in particular, more information that becomes publicly available over the course of the coming weeks. But as you mentioned, uh, Lester Cook, named the interim head women's tennis coach of uh, Valeria Zaleva, the current assistant. Uh, of course, again, Caroline that follows Caroline Lilly, Megan Falcon's immediate dismissal uh, from the Auburn Tennis Women's Program. All right. Again, not the note we ever want to start a show with, but certainly breaking news that caught everyone's attention. I won't forget when I got the text from Jay in the midst of kickoff weekend, bringing it to my attention because, again, Auburn's a team Spoiler alert, you'll see them in our Crack Rackets Top 10 come the end of this podcast. They were one of 60 women's teams in action this weekend as the ITA kickoff weekend got underway. Again, 15 different host teams. Kickoff draft last June, determining where everyone played. Jay, we got a lot of action to recap, so let's get to it now. I divided these regions into three categories. I called them, that was fun which just means every match, we got a little something spicy. I have the we definitely learned something region. I've got six teams within this region. Uh, Again, whether it was who won the region, whether there was a match here and there, a player who stood out, just things for us to discuss. And then last but not least, ain't nothing changed. The top seeds who, dare I say, looked the part throughout the course of their ITA kickoff weekend matches. Let's start with the that was fun category. Let's start with the region I got to call, a region I certainly enjoyed from start to finish, that region, of course, the Tennessee region, which, as advertised, you have four top 25 teams in the coaches' poll coming into a region. You certainly expect things to get fun. That was the case as every match delivered us a little bit of drama. USC with all of their freshman pieces and, you know, again, who's sitting where in the lineup. Certainly some uncertainty on our end of what that was going to look like for them to come out, get doubles. Pretty decisive 4-2. They led from the start, never let go against Miami. That set the tone. After that, a thriller between Tennessee and Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt taking the doubles. Tennessee grinding their way back with a bunch of three-set victories. Set up a really fun regional final. And for Tennessee to come out and take the doubles after dropping it the day prior. After I thought USC looked really good in doubles. And by the way, I thought they looked good in this match. Decision 7-5 for Tennessee at 3. 7-6 for Tennessee at 2. A set where, by the way, Fry and Piper served for it. Up 5-4 in the set. There's the memory coming back in, Jay. It was a really competitive doubles point. And with Tennessee, the crowd they have, the momentum they built, the energy they played with on day one, I thought, okay, they're up 1-0. It's really hard to find three singles victories against this team. But credit to the USC Trojans. They found four. 
that they needed. Ultimately, five three-set matches in this one. The wins for USC, straight sets from Cayetano, three sets from freshman Imi Haddad, three sets from junior Grace Piper, and then the clinch from sophomore Emma Charney. She was one of our breakout stars in the fall. That's translated right away here in the spring at the number two single spot, 5-7-6-2-6-3. She knocks out talented sophomore Catherine Olea, who, by the way, got a massive win over Bridget Stamel the day prior. Jay, coming out of this region, I, th- I feel good about everyone but probably Miami. Like, to see Vanderbilt bounce back, get the 4-0 win over Miami in what was maybe the worst circumstances ever to play a consolation final match. It was after 9 p.m., and these two teams are on the road, far from home. Certainly, if you're Vanderbilt, you're a little closer to home. Maybe that played a factor. But, like, if I'm Tennessee, love the fight. I saw everywhere. It's very clear they're going to be competitive at all six singles positions as we expected. And it might be a roller coaster figuring out who is good, who are the sure things, but they got talent everywhere. And then if you're USC, I mean, I thought doubles looked good both days. And even in dropping the doubles point on the road, hostile environment, you found three three set wins. You played Cayetano at four and it kind of made sense. Like, USC is frisky. They're back in the national indoor conversation. They're back in a top uh, with a look at a top sixteen berth. This was a fascinating region, Jay. What'd you learn? Well, more importantly for USC, they made me look good because this <laughs> was one that I called and I've been burned before on the USC. But I mean, Tennessee coming back from zero three down, beating your in-state rival in Vanderbilt. That's a great win for them. That does show a lot of fight. I think these teams are all very evenly matched. Uh, impressively from USC, Charney, Piper, Cayetano, all 2-0 on the weekend. And so maybe it's, I mean, I feel like getting Cayetano some wins down at that lower half of the lineup do wonders for her confidence. And it's good to see this USC team fight through. This is the same sort of fight we saw in 2022 when they went on the road in Baylor. So it was good to see that back from them here at kickoff weekend. And ultimately, these are two great wins that will hopefully for them age well, hopefully for the Pac-12 age well. And now they get a shot at indoors. Yeah, I I thought across the board again, Piper and uh, Fry, I Um, know they dropped. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I thought you were about to talk about Emma Charney, but you slipped and you said Piper, no, but no, no, actually no. Grace Piper, yeah, I no, got no. you. I knew this one. I slipped plenty of times on the broadcast, not in this moment, Jay, but I do appreciate you thinking I might because that's going to happen multiple times this season. I loved what I saw from them at the two-double spot. They served for that set at two. They went down 2-0 in the match against Miami and won six of the next seven games. Like The combination of Piper's firepower, Fry's firepower, and just length around the net and just like how her levers cover all this ground. They're a really fun two-doubles team. I'll take the firepower of Cayetano with anyone at a one-double spot and the steadiness of Charney, a really nice mix there. And then... You know, again, you let your talented freshman and Naomi Chung, your senior, cook at the three spot. And you let whatever happens happen. I really like the game of Imi Haddad. She's just good across the board. Like, I don't know what the weakness is. And the power was pretty evident. I don't know if this lineup configuration for USC is where things end. But to both of the points we have made, like, much like Tennessee, they're six deep. 
Like, they can win at any different position. I know Snow Han doesn't win her match. She drops the first set pretty decisively to Cabezas. She had five all in the third when that match ends. Those are two top 100 players doing battle against Chung. Again, Chung drops a pretty decisive first set. Went down big to Wolfburg early. I think it was 5-1, 5-2. Starts fighting her way back. Forces a third set. Again, the biggest thing for me, you look for the USC Trojans in this match, Jade. They won five second sets. If you're Allison Swain and you see that in singles, that's all you can ask for from a young team on the road. And that they came over the finish line after how many times this team has fallen just short over the past few years. The cherry on top of everything. Does the pendulum swing back? Is this a year the juju starts to get going for the USC Trojans? Maybe, just maybe, as they will head to Seattle and they will think we can go at the minimum, like one and two, two and one. We don't want to be one of the 0 and three teams. And I think they've certainly got the talent to be in that conversation. Any parting thoughts? Trojans, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Miami, you didn't get to. Jay, tough weekend for Miami. I mean, 0 and two, dare I say, top 16, probably not happening for the Hurricanes this week. I would say of the teams, I'm not ready to eliminate Vanderbilt from top 16 conversation. I'm not ready to eliminate Tennessee. Certainly not ready to eliminate the Trojans. Is that fair? I'd eliminate Vanderbilt. But yeah, uh, Miami is going to be tough. They didn't look that great this weekend. Although we've seen them bounce back from a rough kickoff weekend before. Um, So we'll see. I am curious to see how USC does at indoors. I think they definitely can compete pretty much everywhere, two through six. Why I have Vandy over Miami, they just have an SEC schedule. Like, if they beat one of Georgia, A&M, any of those teams that will be lingering, Florida, Auburn, etc., they're just going to have an outside shot to get into the top 16 if they can rack up enough, have a good SEC tournament, etc. So the points are just available for them this year. Anyways, that's the Tennessee region. Let's go to the Oklahoma region next. Now, I thought the first-round matches were going to be friskier than they were. A couple of 4-0 wins for Cal over UCF, Oklahoma over uh, over Illinois. The regional final was everything we hoped for and more. And first and foremost, it's just worth noting, I really hope Florencia, Florencia Arusha did not screw up her ankle in a way that there is long-term issues for her and a senior transferring from Kentucky, really hoping to be a part of a serious contending team in her final year on the job. You just hate to see it ruined by an injury at this point of the year. Now, I don't know how medical red shirts work in college tennis because she played a full fall. And so technically we're over the halfway mark, but that was crushing. And it really killed what was an Oklahoma post-doubles push. Oklahoma ultimately knocked out 4-3 by Cal. Now, maybe the most stunning part was the fact that Cal won the doubles point in this matchup. Oklahoma, even in losses to Ohio State, Michigan, thus far, they looked really good at doubles in both of those matches. And, you know, for a Cal team that we know so little about, a Cal team that really doesn't play much indoor tennis, for them to come out and get pretty decisive wins, 6-2 at the number two and three spots. You felt like we were in for a fight. But then credit to Oklahoma. As expected, they come out, they take the four first sets they need. They get Shishurbina, Guzman, Garcia Ruiz, and Staker. Florencia Ruscia lost her first set, but from 5-2 down, she loses that first set 6-4. She's up a break, 3-1 in the second set. She rolls her ankle 
And then just all of a sudden, things become a lot tougher for Oklahoma because Cal got a two-in-love win from freshman Mao Mushika, who has my attention moving forward. She knocks off Oklahoma's Chloe Newell. Obviously, uh, for Cal, they get the Katja Wiersholm default victory at that number four spot. So with doubles, that's three. And then the takeaway from this one, it was loud, but just the energy, the everythingness that we got served in that third set between junior Lon Me and junior Emma Staker. Uh, Lon Me, relative unknown on the Cal roster. 5-7-6-4-6-2-J. She knocks out Staker after dropping the first set in what was Staker was up 4-1. You know, Cal served for the set up 5-4. Now all of a sudden, Oklahoma closes out the set 7-5. Her energy, her enthusiasm, the relentlessness... I mean, this match was just delightful. Your reaction to Cal advancing? Well, another 4-3 heartbreaker for yeah. Oklahoma. Their third 4-3 loss uh, to start the season. Yeah, it, I think unfortunately for Oklahoma, that rolled ankle from Arushia came at a critical push that they were making on the comeback trail. And not only does that stall the momentum, but it really disrupts all of the other courts to see a teammate go down like that and have to retire. You can just feel that pressure mount on your shoulders. And yeah, uh, it was definitely loud down that home stretch. Lon Me, the transfer from Cornell, I hadn't heard that grunt so clearly before but yeah it was uh it was a a good match and look this cal team is gonna be much much better than they were last year they really struggled with injuries last year getting Ivanov coming back Wiersholm being healthy Hannah Villar-Muller playing some of her better tennis and she'll be even better outdoors you talked about the addition Mal Mushika she certainly hits the ball well for her size. So, yeah, it's going to be a good Cal team, and we've seen them do some damage at indoors before, knocking off AM and that 4-3 win a few years back. So, tough loss for Oklahoma on the flip side. Good win for Cal as they start to build back to where they believe they belong in college tennis. Yeah, I mean, it was almost a must-have for Cal to start this year. After last season, matches get canceled. It felt like they played maybe six times all year long. And I just I came out of that season having no idea how good that Cal roster was. And look, like they still have a little more time. But Al Sol and Wiersholm are juniors now. Like, you know, Villar Moller is an upperclassman. And I get Mushika's a really nice piece to add, but this core should have accomplished more than they have thus far. And they've had their moments here and there, but obviously some COVID-related things, some weather-related things, they just haven't had their moment over the last four years, the way the talent they've had. Obviously, you lose a Giovara, that's a big loss, but there are still enough pieces there for this Cal team to be in the top 16 conversation all season long. And by the way, just coming out of these first two regions, big winner of the weekend, Pac-12, USC, Cal, Obviously, Stanford all through to the final 16. They joined Washington in their final year in the conference as well. So you got four bites at the apple. We'll talk about the UCLA Bruins in a little bit, but I think they're one of the biggest winners in the month of January, even if the record doesn't exactly say so and they didn't ultimately advance to the national indoors. Pac-12 is leaving after this year, so it can't exactly be back. But it's like football this year. They're like, you know what? One more stand where we remind everyone this conference matters most in women's tennis in particular. It's a good thing to see from Cal J. Any final thoughts on this region? UCF bouncing back with a win over Illinois. 
Any final thoughts no, on Oak? Other way Oak- around. Oh, excuse me. Yes. Thank you. We'll leave that one in, Jay. I made a mistake earlier. I cut it out. You're never going to know where. Only Jay will. Shout out to not being live. Um, Illinois bouncing back 4-3 over UCF. Thank you for that correction. I knew it was a 4-3 match. I promise I was going to get there. You already mentioned the o- Oklahoma. Like, oh. It is a heartbreaking first month. They still got a runway of matches to come uh, as well. But any final thoughts on the uh, on the Oklahoma region? Well, I think Illinois has started their season pretty strong. Yeah. I, you know, they looked decent against Duke. They ended up losing that match. Getting this win over UCF will pay dividends for not only them but hopefully the Big Ten conference as well. But yeah, I think they looked pretty solid. So they were my other takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. Again, a really fun region. Second on my list. Last but not least in the that was fun category. Let's talk about the Florida region. You were sweating if you were a Gator women's tennis fan over the course of the weekend. Not only during their 4-3 match against a San Diego team that has just proven, hey, put us in the top 16 conversation. Schedule the match against Sandy, uh, between San Diego and Pepperdine as one you're just going to have to watch later in the season. But the sweat came before that for the Gators. It came in their matchup against FIU. Florida takes the doubles point. You think all is well. Then all of a sudden it wasn't. D'Oliviera, three in love loss at the top spot. Briggs, two and four loss at the number two spot. All of a sudden, FIU is making this a match, Jay, and Florida had to sweat things out. In the end, Rachel Galis, 6-3 in the third. They got pushed to three sets at the number four spot as well. Set a tone for what we knew would be a dramatic final. Now, the big thing for Florida, you come out of the weekend thinking, well, we at least can build around doubles. As they do go 2-0 on the weekend, the big thing, the freshman duo, Lopez-Ravinska, 2-0. They get a win over San Diego along with Dudney and Spey at the top spot. Look, singles was war, no doubt about it. In the end, uh, again, it comes down to the number one spot after a bunch of straight set victories. Carly Briggs, 6-1 in the third over Claudia Las Harris. But the key thing, Las Harris took a first set one of four first sets, ultimately won by San Diego. That match scoreline, 6-7, Carly Briggs. Definition of grind, Jay, your reaction to the Gators advancing through to the final 16. Yeah, definition of Florida women's tennis just out there. <laughs> They're Completely back. grinding. I mean, Dallas Harris had 7-6, 6-all, 5-all, and she was two points from the match, and dropping that second set tiebreak, I think, I mean, these were long and grueling points. I think that took the the sail out of her, the wind out of her sails a little bit, unfortunately. But fantastic match from San Diego, who absolutely is very much in this mix. Of course, Florida didn't have De Oliveira at the top of the lineup in that second match. So that certainly plays a factor. But Florida survives. They head to indoors for first time in a few years, I think, uh, Florida has been at indoors but uh yeah shout out to FIU this is one of the non-power five teams that I had circled early in the season to make a big dent they had a solid season last year I was curious to see how they would perform after losing their number one as a as a transfer out and they still look really good they get the constellation win over Wake Forest 4-2 and absolutely they're going to be one of the dangerous teams down the home stretch as they'll likely qualify for NCAAs let's do glass half full for San Diego McBride and Evans, couple of veterans, bottom of the lineup. They get straight set wins over two talented freshmen in Lopez, Ravinska, respectively. Glass half full for Florida. 
your two freshmen were playing two of the more experienced five and sixes they're going to face, right, throughout the course of their season. And get these losses out of the way early would be my take if you're Florida, Jay, because I think more broadly coming out of it, Lopez 1-1 one and one overall on the weekend at five. You mentioned it. No D'Oliviera at the top spot. You still managed to advance over a very experienced and successful San Diego team that pulled off a win like this last year against Cal. They almost did it again, but in the end, Florida – using all of their trickery. And this, this is going to be the thing all season long. If they get up 1-0, it's just going to be really hard to find three singles victories against them. Good victory for the Gators. You mentioned it, though. Really nice follow-up victory for FIU, 4-2 over Wake Forest. Just proves them pushing Florida was real. And they're going to play someone round one of an NCAA tournament match. It's going to be like them versus... You know who they're going to play? Jay, lock this in right now. They're going to play Vanderbilt round one. And that's going to be just like, that's two opponents. It just feels like that's the Vanderbilt arc is they run into an FIU like that and then FIU knocks them off. And that's how Vanderbilt season ends after they gained some sort of momentum, like a final of an SEC tournament run, something crazy like that. That's clairvoyant Gruskin making his return to the show. Any other final Florida, San Diego thoughts, San Diego's runway to a top 16. Does it exist without the national indoors? Uh, well, it's going to be tough, but yeah. I mean, they, they went 0-3 at indoors last year, so that didn't help their, their ranking, uh, making it, but, and neither did the win over Cal, honestly, last year, because Cal really petered off there. But I, one thing to note for Florida is Sarah Dahlstrom did retire in that match against mm-hmm. San Diego. It looked like she did roll her ankle. So another injury to monitor moving forward. This is a player who was top 20 in the nation last year, played number one for Florida. So you hope that she is in good health and it's nothing serious and that she will be ready to go for indoors. Yeah, they'll need her if this Florida team is going to avoid going 0-3. Obviously, you don't play a lot of indoor tennis uh, over there at the University of Florida campus in Gainesville. Nevertheless, it's a really talented team. I'm excited to see them against the best of the best. Feels like we're going to get to do a lot of sorting of that on the women's side during our time in Seattle. Let's move on, though, now to where we definitely learned something from these regions. Again, I want to focus on headlines more than anything else coming out of these. I think there's a match here, a player there, whatever it may be that qualifies these results as significant data points for us college tennis fans moving forward. Let's start in the Duke region. Obviously, we talked about Auburn a little bit earlier, mentioned the fact that they did advance to the national indoors. They did it via 4-2 win over the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, Now Auburn takes the doubles point and they continue to play around with their doubles lineup. Sometimes Ansari's in, sometimes uh, sometimes she's not, sometimes Flax in, sometimes she's not. They got a lot of pieces. They're still trying to find who fits where. That makes sense, and that's something to monitor. But again, the depth was very clear. And for Duke, or for Auburn, what was so impressive is how they beat Duke in this match. I didn't expect it to be a top three sweep. That's what Auburn does. Ansari, Arsenault, Bennett, all straight set wins at the one, two, and three spots, Jay. I didn't think that was going to be the recipe for the Auburn Tigers this year. I thought it was going to be Ovunk floating at a four or a five spot. And then whomever, Okatoye, who I think had some food poisoning issues this year, uh, this past weekend. And thus, we didn't see her in singles in this uh, matchup. Flack, whomever the option is at five and six. I thought that's where they'd do the heavy lifting. That wasn't the case. Like, credit to Auburn. They get through. That's what I learned is, okay, those rankings. And sorry, eight, Bennett, 34. And obviously, we know what Arsenal can be. Maybe those are more real than I anticipated. 
Yeah, I thought that was a big-time performance from their top three, yeah. particularly with the absence of Okotoi. Okotoi, you feel like Auburn's depth would have won out against Duke, and Duke, you know, returning, you know, freshman, but Shavit Kimchi is a very experienced player. You have an Emma Jackson up there at the top of that lineup as well. So you felt like they had a lot of pieces there. It felt like with the absence of Okotoi, those top three stepped up and said, we know we might need to carry some of this. And they did absolutely the heavy lifting, all straight set wins. It was interesting to see some of the momentum felt like it carried through on DJ Bennett's court to get the clinch because she was up big in that second set. And then all of a sudden started to let the lead slip and you saw and sorry, Arsenault clinch. And then all of a sudden uh, DJ Bennett there closes the door on Ellie Coleman of Duke and sends them to um, Seattle. Yeah, again, a really fun matchup between these two teams. I will also say I'm not writing off Duke from top 16 contention. Schwetz gets a couple of wins at the sixth spot. I really liked how they played against Princeton, overwhelmed the Tigers, and there's more talent on that Princeton roster than maybe comes to the top of a casual college tennis fan's mind. They've got some five-star blue-chip recruits mixed in there, and Duke handled that pretty casually. Interesting to see sophomore Katie Codd up to the number four spot. She's very talented, but after in and out of the lineup most of her freshman year, going to be asked to step up right away. And again, they'll go with the grad transfers, Bryce Golova, Schwetz, it seems like for now, at the five and six spots. They lost to just a more experienced Auburn group, an Auburn team that has won this match 10 times already together. Head coach or not, again, heck of a performance from the Tigers. That's the thing I learned, though, from this region. I knew Auburn was good. I may be the largest stockholder of Auburn women's tennis team potential in 2024 of anyone. I didn't know Duke was top 16 good. I'm going to be keeping an eye on their results because I like kimchi at one. I like the options of Bryce Golova and Schwetz at six, even if it didn't work as well last year to year later. Maybe it does work this season. Any final thoughts on that? You ready to move on? Yeah, we can move on. All right, Iowa State region next. What did I learn? I learned not only that Oklahoma State's opening weekend of success over Michigan and Ohio State was real as they advance out of this region, wins over UCLA and Old Dominion, but the thing I learned is that UCLA is going to be a top 16 contender this season as it took everything from Oklahoma State to knock off the Bruins. Oklahoma State ultimately a 4-3 win clinched. 4-6-6-3-6-4 at, of all places, the top spot, Jay, as Anastasia Komar, the redshirt sophomore, knocks off reigning NCAA singles champion Fung Ron Tien. Also worth noting, Obi Kajuru, 7-6 in the third, knocks off Kimmy Hance. Also worth noting, Bianca Fernandez, 7-6 in the third, knocked out Sophia Carrington. Also worth noting, Lucia Pyer, 6-4 in the third, knocked out Luke Meyer. By the way, you had tiebreakers in first sets for both five and six singles. UCLA takes the doubles point, clinched, by the way, at a breaker at the number three spot. It's the best match. Unfortunately, none of us got the chance to watch. But all it tells us, Jay, is UCLA 4-3 to Oklahoma State, and they lost at the one and two spots. This team is good. And I know I said top 16 contender. Maybe it's time. Like, you are giving me a face that said that was obvious after weekend number one. It wasn't obvious, though, at the start of January, and that's why I think it's still a revelation here as we close out month number one. Now, again, Oklahoma State ultimately threw, but I currently have them number two in my rankings, so that is not a revelation to me. The revelation is that UCLA has now done this multiple times to start this year. They're a roster to watch. 
Yeah, you said it exactly right. The greatest match no one could see because it <laughs> felt like, I mean, watching these live scores that only refresh like every 10 minutes was really painful, but very exciting in its own right. I had really strong takeaways from both teams. I mean, for UCLA to go on the road indoors in Iowa and push Oklahoma State, who is at this point in the season, much more battle tested very, very impressive from UCLA. And they were so close to almost pulling off what they have done to Duke in the uh, Super Regional last year. I came away very impressed with UCLA and Oklahoma State. I think they're building up a lot of street cred. It would have been much easier to lose this match in front of gosh knows how many fans. I don't even know if they have much indoor seating at that Lifetime Fitness facility. Uh, But I think Komar is just like a primetime player. And I think whether, so for them to do this in absence of their screaming cowgirl fans, I thought very impressive to show that resolve in very tight matches and losing the doubles point. I mean, they're getting all sorts of things thrown at them early in the season and they're weathering the storm. In the non-UNC division or the mortal teams, as we'll call them, they are as battle-tested as anyone heading into the national indoors. That's why they're my number two team right now in the rankings because they have the three best wins. Michigan, Ohio State, UCLA. That's a really nice resume. Heading into the national indoors and more than anything for a team that's hosting this year's NCAA tournament final site, they want to be top eight. They don't want to have to leave Stillwater period, in the month of May, and thus far through the month of January, the course is on track for them to do precisely that. Let's move on to our next region, Jay, and again, these we can move a little bit faster through. I have Georgia in this region. They get through 4-0, wins, but that match against South Carolina was close, and maybe it tells us more about South Carolina, a team that maybe has the best top two of anyone in the country. Number six, Ayanna Ackley, straight set win over Vecic. Number four, Sarah Hamner, 3-2 in the uh, third. She's with Vidmanova when this match ends. Now, again, the question is their depth, and that's where credit to Georgia. Riasco wins 7-5 in the third at three. Lapata 2-2 two two at four. Nurundorn 5-2 at six. By the way, Gigi Grant up two love in the third when that match ends. It is worth noting, Georgia, they're riding with the juniors. Grant and Nurundorn have been the play thus far at the five and six spot. They win a doubles point as well. That was never the case last year. So I guess, again, gradual improvement to end the month. I don't know, though. I thought this match was sneaky competitive, Jay. Certainly when Grant, uh, Riasco, Vidmanova all in these third sets, were you worried? Maybe not because they were up 3-1 overall. Were you nervous? Certainly. Yeah, I think that's a fair characterization. But I also think that this is going to be the story with South Carolina throughout the entire season. Like yeah, if you're sure. rolling with Ackley and Hamner at 1-2, and two, you like your chances at one and two in every single match. And so, you know, to get the straight set win for Ackley over Vekic, to have Hamner come back in that second, extend it, all you really need is, you know, one, you, all you need is a Riasco rope a dope three set <laughs> match. And all of a sudden you find yourself in uh, a much closer match than you anticipated. So I think this kind of feels about what we're going to see from South Carolina a lot of places. Um, and Georgia, to their credit, does have a player that can weather the Hamner storm at number two. You want a breaking news sound effect for this? Because I do think this is actually breaking news. Anastasia Lapata went 2-0 this weekend. She finished both of her matches, Jay. 
That's got to be the first time that's happened in her career. That's I think that's worth a breaking news siren. Like, that's a big deal for the sophomore to get a couple of wins under her belt. She never got to finish last season. She's like, finally, you guys get to see me win. Yeah, and she's been playing really good for them, which is good to see because they need wins there in that yeah. lower half of the lineup. Losing Kowalski, who was so solid for them outdoors. And there's still some questions, I think, about Gigi and Mai and their form. So but to have that secure point at number four is really impressive. Is Lapata the new Kowalski? Some scholars argue maybe <laughs> more next week. Let's move on to Pepperdine. They answered their first question. That's why they're in this category. 4-0 win over LSU where they win the doubles point, get wins from Brodus Chen because, duh, uh, at the number one spot. Then Campania, Redelic, a win at the number three position. Here's the big thing, though. Freshman Jasmine Conway, 3-0 and over Maya Tahan at five. Freshman Vivian Young, 0-1 over Emma Grant at six. Lisa Zarr also the clinch at one, 0-4 win over Kenya Graham. She's back to her winning ways. Brodus was right there, 6-4-5-1 at the number two spot. She acclimated well in her first run in that sort of position. Look, I need to see them tested further. Maybe you're going to give me a big on any of my LSU love I've expressed thus far. That's your takeaway from this match. But straight set wins from the freshman at five and six this early in the year. Okay, you have my attention. Yeah. Okay. I, I would say so. I think the score line more than anything, right? Like yeah. the six three six zero, the six zero six one. Now, exactly. certainly LSU's depth is not the benchmark that this Pepperdine team will hold themselves to. But to go out there and put the points on the board, get off the court so quickly, that's what you look for. And those are matches that they should win like this. And so that part of this is impressive. And yeah, and to, you know, they're so good up top. Um, so to get more reps for these freshmen, I think it makes sense. They play without Campania there in that LSU match and no problem. Yeah, again, uh, they looked the part of top 10 teams. So I know we were both reticent after our preseason rankings. Yeah, they got Zar back, but what exactly is this team going to be? So far, we're two matches in, but so far, so good uh, for yeah. the Pepperdine Waves. Last two in the I Learned Something region. Let's go next to Columbus. Now, we know how good Ohio State is at home. They always are, and Jay always likes to joke, best team in the month of January and pre-indoors February we have in college tennis. Some scholars would argue it's not a bad joke. Uh, they look the part this weekend in dominant victories over two solid teams in Notre Dame and Arizona State. The win over Notre Dame in particular, I thought that one might be tightly contested. It wasn't. Ohio State takes a decisive doubles point. Straight set wins from Berizniak, Ratliff, and Contos. So the veterans get it done in match number one. There's Arizona State was a different story. Now, again, they take the doubles point there, wins at one and two. Contos, another straight set win. But here it was Audrey Spencer at six. Here it was Taya Chavez at five. Luciana Perry, seven, five, four, love lead. The freshman is up at two. Again, Arizona State, Notre Dame, maybe not the hardest kickoff weekend schedule. But as we learned from their weekend foray in Oklahoma, these freshmen are really good already. And you add that with the veteran core of Contos, Ratliff, Brisniak, this team can win. And they can win against everyone. There might be some vacillations, but I'm fascinated to see where the Buckeyes finish, Jay. I feel like, again, there's... Even though we know some of their pieces, this is a team that will continue to get better with just how young they are throughout the course of the year. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, I think on paper, this Arizona State team should be able to match up 
pound for pound, particularly four through six with Ohio State. And that wasn't the case. And it wasn't even close. And particularly that's where Ohio State has their freshmen. So really impressive performance for Ohio State. Again, always going to be tough for an Arizona State team to come to Columbus, play indoors. But yeah, I'm very impressed so far by Ohio State. They're certainly the team that has probably surprised me the most in sort of the upper echelon of women's tennis right now. Yeah, they look really good to start the year. And again, those are freshmen. You feel like come May, they're only going to get better. So keep an eye on the Buckeyes. I'm excited to see this young core get more chops at some of the best in college tennis, see how their level acclimates. Last but not least, Jay, in this category, a team we haven't talked about much, but let's talk UVA. Because they get 4-1 win over Texas Tech, 4-love win over Georgia Tech. Right now, the lineup, again, Shu 1, Shake 2, Subash 3, Ziadato 4, Chervinsky 5, Colliard 6. That's interesting to me. And it's worth noting against Texas Tech, they get straight set wins at the two through uh, three through six spots, excuse me, after dropping doubles uh, again against uh, in the regional final, Georgia Tech. They get wins at the two, four, and five spots. I like the like. There's not a bad piece in that lineup, even if you don't know a ton about Annabelle Shu. She was certainly a very highly titled prospect entering college tennis. You know, again, Melody Collard hasn't played a ton of singles. If you look at the totality of her career, but was fine at six last year. Another year more experienced. All of her double success. She knows what the best tennis looks like. The weapons of Chervinsky at five. Sure, this team. You could swap Auburn, Virginia, Florida, put a name in the hat any given day, and those three teams to me are all the same, where it's just like, yeah, they're pretty good everywhere. I just don't know what their ceiling is. I think Virginia belongs in that breath of the conversation. I think I had overlooked them thus far. Hmm, That's interesting. I think Auburn is on a different tier right now than Florida and Virginia, but I like the comp on the Florida side to say that like one through six – they're pretty much known pieces and they're all pretty solid. And you might, and we look at the, looking at this now, Subash at three, maybe you wouldn't have expected that, but you can't really say it's totally um, out of the question right now, protect, particularly with the success that Shu and Shake are having at one and two. But if you moved any of these pieces around, you probably wouldn't feel like anything was too off. And you feel like that way about Florida. I feel like pretty similar across the board there isn't a big drop from one to six and i think there are going to be like the gatekeepers of like number 13 or 12 ish uh i just don't know if they have an upside that is needed to really go like top eight no if you beat virginia you are certainly a top 16 team if you don't you're on the outside looking at yeah. because that's going to be the ranked win you get that propels you into that top 16 moving forward. I don't know. I think Auburn's the best version of it in the sense that, you know, the upside is highest, but ask me to pound out a match calculus for the Auburn women's team off the top of my head. Like it would depend on the matchup. Same thing for Florida, same thing for Virginia, where it's like, I kind of like them at every spot. Like they could win at any of these places. I agree. Auburn's the best version of that. But the, the unclear match calculus teams who can just find ways to four against anyone, I guess that's the tier Virginia sits in right now. And again, excited to see them tested even further. Georgia Tech continues to struggle to start the season. Got a must win, 4-3 match over Wisconsin in round number one. But yeah, that's really my take is coming out of this. I'm just curious, what is Virginia's upside? Because it's a lot of known pieces and yet... 
how does that stack up against perhaps some of the known pieces we see on other squads throughout the country? Any final thoughts? Well, you just hope that this Virginia team is fully healthy for indoors. Sure. Last year, they had the injury with Annabelle Shue. They had the food poisoning with Julia Adams or whatever it was. So, yeah, I'd be very, I'm very curious to see how they perform here because they're very solid six. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, let's go to the ain't nothing changed region now. We've got six teams, all 4-0 winners in their regional final. Jay, you tell me what impressed you most about each of these squads. UNC, 4-0 winners over Kentucky. Uh well, we, I think we saw Yarlagata play, so that was good to see her in action. Kentucky took more sets than Georgia did against North Carolina, but uh, yeah. I And what was this, it? They took one? Yes, one. <laughs> <laughs> the bar is low right now. We're, we're not counting matches. We're counting sets against the Tar Heels this year. But yeah, uh, impressive performance. 98 Stanford-esque if that metric continues past the month of February because, yeah, like— you're right. The takeaway was we saw we saw Yarlagata. We also saw Rabman at six, and she got the clinching win, and she looked really good. And so, yeah, spoiler alert, UNC, they're the favorites in everything entering this year. Stanford region, they dropped a point in their first match, but 4-0 bounced back against Maryland in the regional final. Did you learn anything, Jay? Well, the doubles is a mess. <laughs> uh, so we learned that. I... Uh, Angelica Blake is not playing nearly as well as she was playing in May when she was really on fire. I think they're kind of locked into having her at one yeah. because they can't. I mean, you can move lineups between kickoff and indoors, but she needs to be back down at three. And Blockina is playing really well. I was really impressed with Blockina. And I'm going a little bit longer on this because I was able to attend oh, the Maryland match. It was unfortunate Maryland didn't have Salma Sadar who is their top player, top, what, 50 player in the country. Yeah. Yep, Finova looks to be playing as well as she was last May. Connie Ma is a little bit more aggressive this season, which you hope to see. We'll see. Uh, indoors is going to be very interesting for the Stanford team. I'm fascinated to know who. what should their top three actually look like? What should their top four actually look like? Because you could make an argument right now, I test-wise, that Blokina is playing as well as anyone in that top three of their singles lineup, Jay. My hot take is that Ooh, the hot take that this is well, this part isn't the hot take, but the higher you move Blockina, the better Blockina you're gonna get. Ooh! She one hundred percent plays to the level of her opponent, and I actually think having her down at four isn't actually in her best interest. One, I think she's a going to step up and under these big lights, and two, she just likes playing against better players and. I think mentally she will go away for extended periods of time. I think that will become less common if she's put up at the higher positions. But the problem is like she's underneath this like fortress of a top three. But, uh, you know, one of Connie Ma or Blake is probably should be a four. Yeah, I, I, that's the most fascinating part is I don't get the order of their top four right now. And they'll get to continue to play with it throughout the course of the season. But you could legitimately throw a dart at a dartboard and pick any of them at one. I like. I do think it's a top four right now that Blokina belongs in that conversation. That's my takeaway, I suppose. Yeah, and it's a five and six. Like, Captain yeah. Hui is not ready for that conversation yet. Yeah, all right. Again, you were on the ground. You got to see it. Appreciate the update from our beat reporter. Next up, NC State. Scores are a little funky because they were indoors, only four indoor courts, so five and six only get underway if absolutely necessary. They kind of weren't for NC State. I mean, they were, but they weren't. Like, NC State, 
looked fine throughout the course of the weekend. They end things with a 4-0 win over Clemson. Jay, I know they dropped some sets here and there, but any takeaways from the Wolfpack? I mean, again, they're as good as doubles, in doubles, as usual. Rejecki, return to form, definitive wins at the top spot indoors in her power inside. Why can't she be the best player in Seattle? I don't know. I don't have any questions coming out of the Wolfpack. I get the hype. Like, they are that good once again this year. Well, I need to see a lot more from them. I don't think we learned a ton from not that this weekend. Good, but I mean, like they're top eight good. Like I wasn't sure if they were actually top eight good because I wasn't. I like didn't understand why we were buying into the freshmen were going to be this good so quickly. But like, oh no, they're good. Like they're going to be in the top eight hunt. Yeah, I agree. I just want to see more of it, and I think sure. it'll be good to see them tested. Not a tough regional for them. Yeah, they've got Tennessee this weekend. Talk about a team that fights, and I believe that match is in Knoxville as well. So the young piece is going to get that test right away, and we'll look at the week ahead as we wrap this show. Last three regions, Michigan region. Michigan 4-0 over Arkansas match. I thought it might be friskier than that, but Wolverines looked really good this weekend uh, across the board, right? Miller uh, at the top spot in doubles, Brown and Miller. And they're continuing to play around, by the way, with their doubles lineup. They like, go Charney in. And, um, oh my God, what's the younger Miller's name? There's, it's Reese. Reese. Reese yeah. Um, Reese Miller. I beat Jay to it. Hopefully the audio shows that. I don't know. Um, we'll cut the clip West off. No, I, a hundred percent. There's a delay on your zoom. I said it as before you were saying it, but it might sound the same. Anyways, Reese Miller was playing with Piper Charney. You saw some Ross Fleekner action. Like they're just going to continue to play around until they find the non-brown Kari Miller pairings that they like. Bagala looked good at the three spot. You know, again, Kari got a really good win over Gomez Alonso. I know it was indoors, but that definitive in straight sets. Wolverines have rounded into form. They've recovered from their Oklahoma State first match loss. Yeah, they looked very good. Uh, Kari Miller is having a fantastic season. It's a great win, great scoreline yeah. for her. She's going to be ranked super high throughout the entire season. It's It was a really good result. Absolutely. And yeah, you're right. Like, I don't know exactly what the WTA accelerator program parameters are, but Miller might have some wild cards available for herself with how she started this season, the ranked win she's racked up. A&M Regional, Jay, they cruised 4-0 over TCU in the regional final. Did you learn anything new about them? No, but my big takeaway is I'm excited for when College Station finally gets this indoor facility, so we have <laughs> to stop schlepping these teams to other indoor facilities. I look forward to that day. Well said. Uh, again, Every match Morales wins at the sixth spot or whomever is playing the sixth spot is a win for this A&M squad. And I think that's the thing you're looking for most as they approach the start of the national indoors. How confident are they at five and six? Last but not least, Texas looked much better this weekend and they round things out with a 4-0 win over FSU. Rapalu looked good. Shavatapan looked good. Zainalova's looking good. Uvrutsky was devastating at that number six spot in that regional final. A reminder of why people were excited about this core of Texas returning is you just there's a lot of known commodities throughout the course of their lineup. And yes, they're Nicolas now, but if this team is healthy, they're just going to be a tough out. There's too much experience and talent everywhere. Yeah, th- this was a, rel- a revelation. I thought they looked really good to 4 Baylor, 4 Florida State. Um, impressive wins Florida State without Vic Allen though but yeah they look very good now if they get Charlotte KP eligible by indoors now this gets to be a pretty big threat I don't know what the latest status is there but 
she's there on campus, so that could be big for Texas. All right, that's a storyline for us to monitor as, again, we get ready for the national indoors in a couple of weeks. That said, that's all 15 regions from the ITA kickoff weekend, another spectacular weekend of play offering us so many data points as we get ready for the real meat and potatoes of the season to begin. And in that spirit, Jay, feels like there's a little bit more for us to base this week's Cracked Rackets Top 10 upon, we have a new edition of those rankings for all of you college tennis fans. And by the way, Jay, I have two editions available for you. I have our cumulative rankings, and then I have our rankings where we remove the highest and lowest offered by our six panel members for each of these teams. So again, if someone has you as high as two, someone has you maybe as low as 11, those two get removed. We go with the aggregate scores from there you want the high low rankings jay or you want the cumulative because there's one spot difference between the two and i'm pretty sure you can guess exactly whom okay we'll go with the cumulative and then we'll see if my revision is better all right we will go with the cumulative then to start at the number 10 spot we have the florida gators Good win over San Diego. 4-3 you grind it out good win over fiu as well they're in at number 10 number nine the Auburn Tigers. You get a win at Duke. You certainly have our attention. Number eight, Texas A&M. Number seven, the Pepperdine Waves. Number six, the Michigan Wolverines. And now we approach the top five. We're at the number five spot. Georgia Bulldogs sit in that number five spot. Number four, NC State. Three, Oklahoma State. Number two, Stanford. And then, of course, your unanimous number one, the UNC Tar Heels. Jay, any big objections? You want to hear the high-low? Can you guess where the change is? Well, I'm hoping the high-low removes NC State from being four. Well, the high-low does exactly that. The one swap we have, NC State goes to five, Georgia to four. Everything else in our top ten looks exactly the same when you remove those high-lows. By the way, you remove the high-lows. We still have Texas at 11. We still have Texas as 12. We still have UCLA and USC as 13 and 14. If you guys are curious who was on our bubble, our teams just missed, but... Pretty like I'm I'm looking at the teams who aren't in the top ten who received top ten votes. There's only one team that received a single top ten vote that's not in our top ten, and that team is Ohio State, who is at number ten in one of our six voters rankings. And by the way, they were at number eleven in just about everyone else's. I'm, I like that top 10. I like the order. It kind of sits in. You look at the point differential. UNC's in a tier of themselves. Then you have Stanford, Oklahoma State. Then this kind of NC State, Georgia, Michigan conglomerate, Pepperdine A&M. Then a wave of everyone else. Feels about right coming out of the first month of the season. What say you? Yeah, I think it feels spot on. And we're going to continue to get a lot more signal. I didn't feel like we got too much to, to disrupt the apple cart there and kind of like that top 10 like everyone sort of performed as you would expect so i actually don't think i moved much at if anything in my top 10 yeah. uh this the ups- uh week sorry to cut you the upsets happened at the fringes right it was usc tennessee cal oklahoma teams outside the top 10 who beat up on one another but yeah i bet there was a lot more movement from our 11th through 15s who we had there last week than this week so i can tell you no one's 11 through 15 was at all the same yeah that's where the movement really occurred and that's where seeing wednesday's coaches poll will of course be fascinating for all of us college tennis fans last but not least on today's show jay let's look at the week ahead because as we prepare for the national indoors a bunch of teams trying to get their final licks in 
there's a lot of good matches that I could choose from. Some of the headlines on, uh, let's start Friday, uh, a big one, obviously, Texas A&M at Miami, Wisconsin at Texas, and then Duke at Ohio State. That's the big one because that kicks off a trio of matches happening in Columbus. First, you have Duke at Ohio State. Then, of course, you have UCLA taking on Duke in Columbus. That's one of many fantastic matches on Saturday. Pepperdine at Oklahoma State, Virginia at Michigan, NC State at Tennessee, and then one you really won't want to miss, USC at San Diego. That's a big match for top 16 implications on the West Coast. Sunday, the final of the Ohio State trio, UCLA at Ohio State. You've also got Georgia at Texas that day. UCF at Miami. Again, this might be a winner go home sort of weekend for Miami in terms of top 16 stakes. If that if if they can't go 2-0 against that combination, again, of UCF on Sunday, as well as their Friday match against Texas A&M, things get tougher for the Hurricanes. We'll just say moving forward. I know I threw a lot at you there, Jay. I threw a lot of college tennis fans. Let's make things a little easier. Give me your number one matchup of the weekend. The one, if I'm a fan, I'm going to tell my family, look, I'll spend time with you at the other hours, but this is the college tennis match I got to watch. Well, you can watch that match and you can listen to a preview of this match on the No Ad No Problem podcast. I'll be previewing Pepperdine at Oklahoma State. Look, the hits keep on coming for Oklahoma State. They're certainly getting themselves fully prepared for hosting NCAAs in May. Fascinated to see how this match goes. I think certainly Pepperdine can take doubles. They can win at the top of that lineup. So very curious to see how this Pepperdine team stacks up against Oklahoma State. That is my number one match to watch this week. It's the first real litmus test we get, right, for these Pepperdine waves. All due respect to LSU, but Pepperdine's a pre- everyone right now has Pepperdine top eight, and that's because they've built up a lot of goodwill. This core of Czar, Brodus, Chen, Redelick, they've won a lot of matches together. This Oklahoma State team maybe has more combined signature victories, Jay, quietly in this first month of the season than Pepperdine racked up last year. Like very quietly beating Michigan, beating Ohio State, beating UCLA. Those are three really good wins. And Pepperdine has always been frisky, but, you know, again, they lost that 4-3 match to Texas. They lost that 4-3 match to UNC. Like they're always knocking on the door. It'd be really nice to see them on the winning end of one of those, and this is a massive opportunity to do so. And by the way, that's not a call-out. They got plenty of time to clean things up. I love that they're headed to Stillwater this early to get a look at the scene. We talked about this in our Oklahoma State preview. We thought more teams would do that than the Oklahoma State schedule right now currently shows. It's a good call as match number one. Is it safe to say Duke has to go at least one and one this weekend? to stay in the top 16 conversation, not to be top 16 at the end of the year because they're still in the ACC. But I need to see them beat one of Ohio State or UCLA, right? Those are all teams in that top 16 conversation, not quite top eight, but a 2-0 and weekend this weekend and you're knocking on the door of it. It's a fascinating trio. Which of that permutation of three matches intrigues you most? UCLA versus Duke and then Ohio State hosting both of them. Yeah. Uh, I think it has to be Ohio State versus UCLA. That's because, the correct answer. <laughs> because yeah. both of these teams have come out and impressed us. So let's who let's see who impresses us more. And also because UCLA isn't 
going to indoors, this feels like a must win for them to get some non-conference wins under their belt. Yeah, I I mean, UCLA has some new freshmen too, right? Or new pieces working into their singles lineup. And yeah. on the road at Columbus isn't like anywhere you will have played in your life before you get there. Also, give me Fongran Tien versus Irina Kantos. Like, sign me up for that right away. I think it's really good. We saw a high level from Kimmy Hance out of the gates because we were unsure. We just hadn't seen her play much singles coming into the year. I think she should be favored over Luciana Perry. I think she has to win that match probably for UCLA to win on the road. Again, a upperclassman knocking out a freshman. If Duke gets one win, it's a winning weekend for the Blue Devils. But I do agree with you. I think both the Bruins and the Buckeyes come into the weekend expecting to go 2-0. and If you're Ohio State and you go 2-0 coming out of this weekend, you're feeling really good heading towards Seattle. Like Again, you lost one match to Oklahoma State. It was the first road match for your freshman, and you took the doubles point over that Oklahoma State squad. Or second road match, first road weekend for the freshman. You want to give me predictions? How does that one unfold? Who goes 2-0? Who goes 1-1? Does anyone go 0-2? Or do they all I mean, go 1-1? Now, that would be interesting. I I have not done the match calculations on these. Uh, I will go Duke goes 0-2. UCLA goes 1-1. And I'm going to say Ohio State goes 2-0. The legend lives on. Best team in January. And uh, we'll see how they can continue the momentum outdoors. But yeah, it's also just so tough to play in Columbus. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm going with. And shout out to the Big Ten, both Ohio State and Michigan. We haven't talked about Michigan slate, but like, my God, we talked about these in the previews. Their schedules are insane. So much fun. And we're going to have so much to talk about, Gruskin. You know what that means next week? Hopefully we'll be live. That's what I think. Maybe you're gonna have to fu- you're gonna have to slot me in twice because we got to recap all of these and matches and do the indoors. Idea. It's another two for week, so we might not be live on YouTube, but you're absolutely right. It will be another two podcast week next week. And by the way, that final bow, Wolverines hosting Virginia. We'll get the litmus test match for the Who's right away. Guess who else they're hosting? Another team I put in that category. They've got Florida coming to town on next Tuesday, a week from today. The Big Ten learned from COVID that we will never not have enough ranked matches on our calendar again. And shout out to Ronnie and shout out to Melissa. Ronnie Bernstein, Melissa Schaub, head coaches for those schools respectively. They were like, we learned. We're not going to let that happen again. And we get to reap the benefits as college tennis fans as we get to watch all those matches unfold. That said, that's everything. Week behind, week ahead. By the way, you can find all of those that information available on Chris Helioris' collegetennisranks.com website as the all aspects are now fully functioning. Shout out to Chris Helioris for making that happen. Again, collegetennisranks.com. Jay, I know you alluded to it earlier. You've got some preview content on the horizon, some things for fans to enjoy. Any other no-ad, no-problem plugs for us before we wrap today's show? Well, we're going to kick into gear the matches of the week, so we'll be looking to drop those on Thursdays. One men's match, one's women's match. We'll be doing that with Ethan, so I revealed the women's match. I'll have to stay tuned for which men's match we'll be previewing for uh, this weekend. That's what I like to hear. Well, again, you can listen to No Ad, No Problem. Wherever you listen to your pods, you can read it wherever you read your blogs uh and of course you can follow jay at jay tweets tennis on both twitter and instagram a shout out to you as always for joining no the instagram's no ad no problem oh the instagram's no ad no problem i'm not an instagram guy so i appreciate the correction there a shout out to you a shout out as always to the corrections we get from our super producer daniel westoff who as always has a of an editing job to do day in day out that said 
Chris Helioris and I will be back on this podcast tomorrow to talk about the Division One men's kickoff weekend. We will be back twice next week for both, uh, excuse me, four times next week for two men's, two women's shows, recapping, previewing, and all that said, signing off for now for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.